Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. Amen. Well, yes, we are talking about first responders and we've heard from it from you know, three different angles. So hopefully this morning is another angle of, of that title when I asked this morning, what is your first response when things don't go the way that you want them to? What is your first response when things don't go the way that you want or the way that you plan? Because honestly, I think it's quite easy to be like skipping through life and happy and maybe even joyful and also calm and collected and, 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 and all good when things are going the way that we want them to. But what about when they don't? What is our first response then? What happens when the job that you were banking on falls through? What happens when you don't get the pay rise that you were expecting? What happens when there is a health emergency or when your kids are disobedient, when someone you really like doesn't like you back? What happens when your husband or your wife doesn't agree with you? When you're running late, something breaks, when your time is interrupted, when disappointment hits, when you can't go on the holiday that you were planning for, when things don't go your way, what is your first response? As I might have already mentioned, (laughs) Brock and I are engaged. Um, You know. (laughs) With an engagement, obviously, comes a wedding, right? Um, But with a wedding comes a lot of planning. And I was like, oh, gosh, this is going to be so easy. You know, I plan things all the time. You know, I'm like the queen of planning. I'm going to be so chilled this whole process. I'm going to be the opposite of a bridezilla. It's just going to be fine. Um, And it kind of was for like the first week, I think. (laughs) And then there was this one moment, well, day really, where it was a good day. Honestly, like I've been on holidays. Um, I was holidaying at Mark and V's beautiful house in the Adelaide Hills. It was stunning and serene and and, um, you know, I was having a good time. But this day, I'd woken up about 6.30 in the morning and the first thing I did, I pulled out my laptop and I started, like, designing a, a website, <laughs> right? And then I started, you know, working on um, a playlist for our wedding. And then I was, like, making phone calls straight away to, like, try and lock in venues and, and all sorts of things and sending out emails and basically doing everything in one day, designing invitations and also working out where we're going to live, like working out our home situation. And that day I had a call and it was really good news and I was all excited, but it got to about 11.45 p.m. and I was still going. The laptop was still up and I found myself ordering paper online at this point. This point in time, and it wasn't just like you know normal paper for the print. It was like fancy paper for our invitations, and it was a lot more money than what I've ever spent on paper in my life. But I was, I was on Etsy, um, and ordering this this paper. And um, what happened is I I pressed order, 
and I got a notification on my phone saying that the money was taken out of my account, but I looked at my my laptop screen and the order wasn't placed. Like it didn't, it didn't go through. It was like, you still need to pay. And I'm like, I've just paid. And so I went to pay and it wouldn't go through, wouldn't accept the money. And so I thought, oh my gosh, this is really, really bad. I've just lost a lot of money. I, I better try it again. And so, so I tried it again. This is 11.45, you know, this is what you do at, at, at nearly midnight. I tried it again. And this time, even more money, I don't know how, more money was taken out of the account. Uh, I saw the notification on my phone and the order still did not place. It still was saying that I hadn't paid for it. And so by this point, I'd called up Brock and I was really building up into a hysteric. I feel like I can't, often preachers like to exaggerate. I genuinely cannot exaggerate the intensity of this moment. I absolutely lost it. I was crying. I was like, Brock, we have to cancel the wedding. We, we can't get married anymore, Brock. You know, we've lo- I've lost all this money. It's just all over. And I started to like breathe really quickly. And then I was like feeling faint, even though I was kind of fine, but I dramatically fell on the ground, <laughs> pretending I'd passed out. And, and then I hear Brock like, just go to bed. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, and I absolutely lost it. I was in utter hysterics this one. I wish it was further in the past than it, than it was, but no, it was, it was far too recent. But I was like, what is going on? This whole day, everything's gone my way. It's been beautiful. I've had a great time. Like, I'm engaged. I got this beautiful ring on my finger to an amazing man of my dreams. And yet, the moment one thing didn't go the way that I wanted it. The, the moment one thing happened that was frustrating, I absolutely snapped and I lost it because things didn't go the way that I wanted them to. What is your first response? That, that was mine and it ain't pretty. Maybe, um, maybe you're not quite as hysterical as I am. Maybe you get really mad. Maybe you just like like your, your blood starts to boil and you just feel like, you know, kind of letting it rip at something or smashing your, your fist against something or shouting at someone that's around. Maybe you get really, really mad or maybe you get really sulky, real moody, kind of, you know, get quiet and you you draw back and you're a bit depressed and you kind of back away a little bit. Maybe you ignore or you deny or try and disassociate yourself from the issue and pretend that it's not there. Maybe you're someone who like leaps into action straight away. You just try to to do something and do anything to kind of rectify the situation and gain back what went wrong. Maybe you pick up a negative habit and you start drinking or taking things you shouldn't or you start hurting yourself or overeating or undereating with a stuff em all attitude, who cares anyway. Or maybe you just find yourself in a state of discontentment, losing your joy, having lost your peace. And I was thinking, what are we trying to achieve? Like, what was I trying to achieve when I was on the floor in hysterics? And I, I, really, I think that we're trying to gain control 
even though it seems a bit of a weird way of doing it, I think we try to gain control when we feel like something is out of control. We try and settle things our way and take matters into our own hands. And it can be very hard, almost it can, it can seem impossible to keep our joy and our contentment and our peace when it feels as though we have been robbed. And our founding pastors, Pastor Ray and Robin Betcher, often quote this verse that when, when I hear it, I just feel like, wow, okay, I feel, I feel a sigh of relief, like, like something, you know, the Word of God just kind of cuts through this cloud of confusion or distortion or whatever is, is, is built up when I'm myself losing or having lost my joy or my peace or my life. And it comes from Romans 8 verse 6, and we're going to read it first in the New King James Version. You might have heard it before from this platform. It says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I'm going to read it in the ESV. A mind governed by the flesh is death, but a mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so I know when I have lost my life, when I have lost my peace, when I'm starting to get frustrated and and things that shouldn't are, are starting to disturb this peace and contentment inside of me, I know that I've got this order wrong. I know that the Spirit of God is no longer the one governing my mind. It's actually my flesh that's starting to call the shots, that's starting to create all these, these feelings that are not of God inside of me. When I lose my life and my joy and my peace, I know that I need to come back to God. (laughs) When I find myself, which happens too often, lacking those things or, you know, being on the floor in hysterics, I have to come back to my Father and just say, forgive me. I've been trying to take control of my life. I, I know I can't do this. I know my life is in your hands and so I, I, I surrender that and I allow you to lead me the way that you see fit. One of my favourite verses is, is from Isaiah 55, verse 8 to 9, which is God saying, For my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than, than your thoughts, declares the Lord. And, and we can have this peace and this rest knowing, okay, yes, when, when our mind is governed by the Spirit of God, when we allow Him to call the shots in our life, that we can trust Him as a child trusts their father. We can gain that life and that peace, and that joy that His way brings. I read just recently in, um, in Mark 4 about the parable of uh, the sower, this man who goes around with a whole lot of seed and he scatters it and, and Jesus shares this with a bunch of people and he says, you know, part of these, these really beautiful seeds, they fall on the path. And the birds come along and they, they eat them up straight away before they even have a chance of life. Then some of these seeds, they, they fall on rocky ground where there's just a little bit of soil. So they kind of spring up, but because they don't have enough to sustain them, enough roots to sustain them, they, they die. And then there's seed that's thrown on, um, it lands on 
on ground that's filled with weeds and thorns. And as the seed grows, so the weeds grow and, and it kind of chokes it out. And then lastly, of course, the seed that is thrown on, on good soil and it grows and it, and it brings forth a harvest. And of course, everyone who was listening, particularly Jesus' disciples, were very confused, which is the norm we find in the Bible. They never know what's going on. So Jesus like, okay, sit down, let's, let's do this again. Let me explain what's going on. And I want to read just the part when he's explaining what the, the thorns mean, what the weeds mean. He says in Mark 8, sorry, Mark 4, 18 to 19, still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. This gives three distinct things that show our mind is no longer being governed by the Spirit of God, but being governed by our flesh. What are they? The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things. And as I read that, read that just, just recently, I was remember sitting on my little beanbag in my room and I just prayed. I'm like, oh God, I'm sorry. I can, I can notice these things are creeping into my life. I can notice that I'm thinking, if I just get this, then I'm going to be okay. If I, if I just have this thing that I'm wanting, then I'll be all right. If I get this home or this venue or whatever, then it'll all be, it'll all be settled. And so I had to say, God, I'm sorry. Please protect my mind from the deceitfulness of wealth. Please protect my, my, my heart from the desires for other things being beyond my desire for you. Please pr- protect me from the worries of this life. Lord, I know you and I can trust you. And I, I, started, I started praying. But I like it kind of creates a bit of a checklist as well for us to see, all right, Am I, am I getting deceived right now by wealth? Am I thinking that if I have this, if I have this upgrade, if I just have, you know, one more pair of shoes or another bottle of wine, am I going to then, you know, be happy and, and, and content? It, it helps us to recognise when the Spirit of God is no longer the one governing our mind, but it's our flesh that begins to govern. And when we notice, we've got to get on our knees before Jesus and ask Him, hey, please, Please, will you govern my mind again? I don't want to be someone who just hears the word to fall on good soil, right? To remain in Jesus, to bear fruit, to bear a harvest, to be spiritually minded. And I'm sure, do you want that too? Do you want to be spiritually minded, to walk in God's joy, life and peace daily, even when your kid's throwing a tantrum, even when you're in the middle of a disagreement, Even when there's conflict at work, our first response can be peace in the midst of pain. It can be joy in the midst of longing. Our first response can be contentment in the midst of confusion. It's really a a shift in focus to not lose our peace when something doesn't go our way. 
to not be riddled with anxiety when we're waiting or in the unknown, to not lose our joy when someone does something that offends us. To be spiritually minded is life and peace, to lift our gaze beyond, beyond our situation, to fixing our eyes with Jesus, our Saviour and our Sustainer. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. But maybe you're thinking, well, I kind of feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I've learned that or I'm, I'm learning that. And I, I don't really feel like, you know, external things can shake me too much anymore. I think I'm, I'm kind of okay. But there's also not just external things that happen that can rob us and, of our joy and our peace and our, our contentment. It can also be internal things. Things like shame, like guilt, things like regret or our weakness that can cause us to to lose our joy and our peace as we recall and remember and walk in, in a heaviness from our past or from our weaknesses. And so with that in mind, we're going to dive into Nehemiah 8 to look at the first response of the people of Israel when they were hit with something internal that just came like a wet blanket and really unbalanced them. So just a bit of context, Nehemiah is an amazing leader. He felt the call of God in a pivotal time when when Jerusalem was in, in shatters, really. The walls were broken down, the city had been burnt and ravaged and the remnant of Israel had had returned there and, and Nehemiah felt the call of God to go and lead them in the rebuilding of the city and so they do that. They rebuild the city and then afterwards in Nehemiah 8, they dedicate the city to God and this is what it says in verse 1 to 3, all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of all the men and the women of those who could understand. All the ears of the people were attentive to the book of the law. Jumping a few verses, says in verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above all the people, meaning he was on a pulpit, not like, you know, he was better, a better person or something. And he opened it, and as he opened it, all the people stood, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped their Lord with faces to their ground. So basically, Ezra just prayed this real pump-up prayer before he started preaching and everyone's getting around it. They're all excited. They're ready for what they're about to hear. And then it says in verse 8, they read from the book, the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the word of the Lord, heard the words of the law. Their first response to the book that they read, to the words they just heard, 
was weeping and mourning. You could say that the people of Israel were in hysterics, as I was. But what had happened? They felt convicted of their way of living. That's what happened. They they felt convicted and they realised, oh my goodness, I am living in sin. My past, all these things that I've done, they're against what, what God has for me. And they felt this weight of sin, this weight, I'm sure many of them felt the, 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 the weight of shame and of regret and of guilt. Maybe this feeling of being, being dirty and unloved and broken and weak and it sent them spiralling down. They were internally devastated at what they just heard, disgusted at the choices that they had made. And so whilst these these people, can you imagine it, like this huge amount of people just weeping and mourning together. It would have been horrendous. Right when they were weeping and mourning, before they were able to, to leave and get on with their day, it says in Nehemiah 8, 10 to 12, that um, Nehemiah, Ezra, the Levites said to them, go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. They understood the joy of the Lord is my strength. What a turnaround. Going back to their first response though, right? It's, it's, a, it's a big difference. What made them realise their sin was, we know, the book that they were reading. And you're probably thinking, Gosh, that would be a horrible book. It's probably titled like, You're a sinner and you really suck. Do better. Full stop. All in capitals. Right? It, it wasn't. It wasn't titled that just in case you were, you were thinking that it was. It, it wasn't. It was actually the Torah. The law of God is the Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible. And if you read the first five books of the Bible, yeah, there's some intense parts in there for sure. You can't deny that. But also it is filled with the grace of God. It's filled with the love of God. It's filled with these people who had sinned, yet they they repented and God forgave them. And He turned around and blessed them. And He loved them and He saved them and He set them free and He led them to live this righteous life with Him. It's it's full of, of joy and excitement. Yet what had the Israelites done in Nehemiah? They had focused on the wrong thing. They were so caught up in their sin that they thought their sin outweighed God's grace. They thought that that their sin was, was more than what God could bear and more than what they could bear. And I found it interesting that it says initially the Israelites understood what was said. And yet they wept. In their minds, as I said, the sin outweighed God's grace. And 
I realised how often do I do that? I understand my sin. I understand the, the concept of God's love and His grace. And yet there are times that I'm still weeping. Maybe it's because I still feel the weight upon my shoulders to carry myself to redemption in my own humanity and so-called strength. Therefore, I weep. I can weep at the imminent failure, knowing the impossibility of the task and my present shortcoming. But you see, I and we need to know that the answer to our weakness is never our strength. It's God's grace. The answer to our weakness is never our strength. It is God's grace. We need to realise that our own strength won't cut it. We need to realise that our hard work won't save us, that your striving to do good won't be good enough. Saving ourselves is well outside of our control, but we must dry our eyes and see through our tears and understand that God's grace is there, that His arms are always outstretched for us, that He is nothing but love and joy and forgiveness, that His mercies are new every day, that He still has a plan and a purpose for our lives to be able to see through that and grab hold of the grace of God. Like the Israelites, we can say we understand, we understand, we understand, yet still be weeping when we should be rejoicing. Walking in shame and regret when we should be walking in freedom and joy. When we really know the good news, when we really understand God's grace, we are filled with joy and not mourning. You and I, we know more than the Israelites did because we are living in the age that was prophesied thousands of years ago. We know for a fact that Jesus died on the cross for us. We know that God loved us so much that He sent His Son for us. We're living in those days. We can know and understand the joy of the Lord is our strength. When we realise our sin and repent before our Father, He says, this is good news. You were blind, but now you see. You were lost, but now you are found. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Turn to someone next to you and say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I hope you understand that this morning. I want to read you something that one of my favourite characters in the Bible who doesn't get as much hype that he should. He's called Elihu. He's founded in Job. He's the youngest one of Job's friends who's probably just the tag along, really. He doesn't um, speak until everyone else had finished talking to Job about his misery. And I love it because we can experience and really proclaim what um, Elihu explains here. We're going to read it, Job 33. Someone may be chastened on a bed of pain with constant distress in their bones, so that their body finds food repulsive and their soul loathes the choicest meal. Their flesh wastes away to nothing and their bones, once hidden, now stick out. They draw near to the pit and their life to the messengers of death. Yet, if there is an angel at their side, a messenger, one out of a thousand, sent to tell them how to be upright 
And he is gracious to that person and says to God, spare them from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom for them. We know that our ransom is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I have found a ransom for them. Let their flesh be renewed like a child's. Let them be restored as ever with Him. They will see God's face and shout for joy. He will restore them to full well-being. And they will go to others and say, I have sinned. I have perverted what is right. But I did not get what I deserved. God has delivered me from going down to the pit and I shall live to enjoy the light of life. As Christians, that is what, uh, that is our privilege to be able to say, I have sinned. I have preferred what is right. That is my history. That is my present weakness. Yet God has forgiven me. He has found a ransom for me and I shall look at God's face in joy. I shall enjoy life, live to enjoy what God has given me. Life, peace, joy is what the Spirit of God brings, not shame, not fear, not condemnation. And if you're feeling any one of those things, you can know that is not the Spirit of God. That is the enemy trying to get into our minds. And so often he succeeds, hey? But we have the Spirit of God inside of us who is far stronger than the enemy. And we can tell him where he needs to go and walk in that life, peace and joy that the Spirit of God brings. If I can have the band come up and and join me. Nehemiah corrected the people of Israel because they were focusing on the wrong thing. They were focused on their sins instead of being glad in the goodness of God, in his salvation freedom. We must know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know what I realise? When Jesus looks at me in my sin, my guilt, my shame, his first response is one of joy. When Jesus looks at you, imagine that he is here on stage. When he looks at you with the life that you've lived, the week that you've had, the mistakes that you've made, he is not mad. He is not full of anger. He's not focused on your sin. He's focused on you and having relationship with you. We know that because of the Word of God. Hebrews 12 verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible says for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. It wasn't the sin that was set before Him, He endured the cross. It was for the joy that was set before Him. The sin wasn't the focus here, right? The sin, although still present, it was fading into the background. They become covered by by the the, the salvation blood of Jesus Christ. And and your face is what took centre stage. When He saw your face, He was filled with joy. John 3.16, you might have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. 
It doesn't actually say, for God so hated sin that He gave His Son. The sin wasn't the focus. You were the focus. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. Romans 5 verse 8, But God shows His love for us, not His hate for sin, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is His love. It is His joy. When God thinks of you, His first response, the Bible tells us, is that He is overwhelmed with love. He is filled to the absolute brim and overflowing with joy. He is is filled with joy knowing that even just as He walked up that hill, knowing that as He gave His life for us on Calvary, that it meant that we could know Him. He was filled with joy knowing that through His death, that we could draw near to Him. He made a way. He had joy knowing the divide between you and Him was broken. Does this mean that it was a comfortable experience? Does this mean that having nails go through His hands and His feet was a good feeling? Does this mean that the the crown of thorns on His head made Him chuckle? Does this mean that as He as he hung up on the cross and was internally drowning from the blood that filled his lungs, does that mean that was a good time? No, it was painful. Yet through the pain, he saw the promise of knowing you. Before Jesus went to the cross, knowing that pain he was about to experience, we get an insight into a prayer that he prays to his father. It's recorded in Luke 22, verse 42. And Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Meaning if there's another way for this to happen, can you make it happen? He says, nevertheless, Jesus says to his father, not my will, but yours be done. I am eternally grateful that Jesus did not allow his flesh. He was 100% human and 100% man. I'm so glad he didn't let his flesh call the shots at that moment. He submitted to the will of God. He submitted to his Father. And he said, not my will, Father, but yours be done. Yes, I will do it. And I will do it with joy. I will do it with love. I will do it with gladness, knowing my prize is to be in relationship for all eternity with those who come to me. I am so grateful that Jesus did this so that He could know me and I Him for you. He loves you so much. Will you stand with me this morning? I want to pray through those areas that that I brought up. And the first one is joy. So if everyone wants to close their eyes so we can allow people to respond if they're joy. Internally, if you feel like there's been this, this weight, this heaviness of maybe shame or guilt or... I guess, understanding your your weakness and you're just feeling 
like it's so heavy on you and you've lost your joy in the Lord. Even if it's just a little bit, you're like, I I want that joy back. I I don't want to focus on those things anymore. I want to lift my eyes to Jesus. Will you just raise your hand in the air as a sign before God saying, God, you see me right now. Will you help me understand that the answer to my weakness is not my strength, it's your grace. Is there anyone else who needs that realignment this morning and is saying, Lord, I want the joy of the Lord to be my strength. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyone else this morning? I'm gonna pray right now that those chains drop away that you understand the freedom that God has brought for you. Father God, you see these people. You see us right now where we're at. And Father God, I pray that, that these people are no longer weighed down by their weakness or their shame or the things that they've done in the past that they wish they hadn't done or regret. Lord, we pray right now that there will be a lightness, that people will feel things trickling off of them, Lord, as they, as they gaze at your Son, as they gaze at your sacrifice, as they understand just how much you love them, just how much you separate their sin from them. From the east to the west, the Bible says, so God has separated our sin from us. Lord, let the joy of the Lord be renewed in people's hearts this morning. Let the joy of the Lord be renewed in their souls this morning. Let them walk with it right now. But as they walk out those doors into their weeks, Lord, thank you for walk in the joy of the Lord. It is our strength. And we thank you for that. It is not us. It is nothing to do with us. It is all to do with you in Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name. The next thing, if you feel like you've lost your life or your peace, if you felt like you've you've actually allowed some weeds to grow up around you, And you're noticing that there's the deceitfulness of wealth. You're thinking, if I just have this, if I just get a little bit more, then then I'm going to be happy and I'm going to be content. Or if the worries of this life or health issues or worries about work or, or money, or if there's desires for other things, even good things like relationships, if you know that they've started to creep up and they're starting to, to shift your focus and choke out the Word of God and choke out the time that you have to spend with God and you just want to realignment and say, God, here's the reins. Here's the reins of my mind. Here's front and center stage. Please take it. Please take it. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to call the shots. I don't want to... I don't want my mind to be governed by my flesh. If that's you this morning, will you raise one hand up in the air and we're going to pray together because God knows that we need it. If that's you, yeah. Yep, I see those hands. Is anyone else you're saying, yeah, Lord, I don't want my flesh to call the shots. I want your spirit. Is there anyone else this morning? Yeah, praise God. Praise God. He sees your hands. He sees that. He sees your heart right now. Father, you see us where we are. And Lord, we thank you that you don't judge us and you don't hate us, Lord, that you love us. And we ask right now that 
you do some weeding. God, we thank you that you're a gardener and you're a very good gardener. And we just pray, God, that you will weed out those things in our life that have started to take front and centre stage. The things, even if they might be good things, Lord, we just pray that you do a realignment in our hearts and in our spirit. We just say right now, will you take the reins? Will you take the reins of our mind? We want to be spiritually minded. We want to walk in the life and the peace God, when situations pop up, we don't want to be um, feeling angry or, or dramatically hysterical, God, or, or depressed or whatever the reaction might be. Lord, we want to have a reaction, a first response that is filled with life and peace. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. We thank You, Lord, that You give us Your life and Your peace. It's not our life. It's not our peace. It was the life that you sacrificed, that you laid down so that we could pick it up. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' Name. And lastly, if you have never invited Jesus to be your Lord and your Saviour this morning, if you want to do that, I encourage you to do that. That is the best decision that you will ever make. So with every eye closed as well, if you want to say, Jesus, I want you in my heart. You maybe you've never invited Jesus into your life before. And this morning is recognising your need for Him. It's as simple as saying, Lord, I need you and I want you. If there's anyone this morning, will you raise your hand up in the air and then we're going to be praying and going back into worship. Is there anyone this morning or on the live stream as well, even if you're in your room and you're hearing this message and you're saying, yes, I want Jesus. And we're going to pray this morning. And if you're praying this for the first time, then you can pray in your heart or pray it out loud. God hears you. This is just a moment between you and Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and that I've made mistakes. But Lord, I acknowledge your forgiveness and I ask for your forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins whilst I was still a sinner. I choose to turn to you and I invite you into my life and into my heart. My life is not my own. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to worship and I encourage you as, as we worship to be giving these things over to God, not focusing on our sin. Let's just take some moment just to be in adoration before our God. He is a good God. He loves us so much and He's here with us right now. Thank you, Holly. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.